You are listening to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 18. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm Monica Louie, and I am thrilled to be here with you today. I've got a really fantastic interview that I just cannot wait to share with you. This is a great one, you guys. So listen up. Today, we are speaking with Adam Carroll. Adam has spent 15 years helping people build bigger lives. He's an internationally recognized financial literacy expert, author of three Amazon bestsellers, a two-time TED Talk speaker with more than 4 million views on YouTube, and he's the creator of the Broke, Busted, and Disgusted documentary, which aired on CNBC and is shown in hundreds of high schools and colleges across the country. Adam is the founder of the Build a Bigger Life Retreat. He loves connecting epic people and spends his days helping others realize that they are the architects of their own lives. We talk about all of that and more on today's episode. And before we dive in, I want to make sure that you know that you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 18. That's M-O-N-I-C-A. L-O-U-I-E dot com slash the number 18. Okay, I want to just get right into it because Adam has so much to share with you today. So let's dive right into the interview with Adam Carroll from masteryofmoney.com and buildabiggerlife.com. Hey, Adam, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I am so excited for today's conversation. Monica, I've been looking forward to this for weeks. Yay. Well, thank you so much for coming on and being open to share your story. So first of all, before we talk about how you got here, tell everybody who you are and what you do today. Yeah. Well, my name is Adam Carroll, and I guess I would describe myself primarily as a professional speaker today. I've never really liked the the moniker of thought leader. I don't think that's what I am, but I love talking about personal leadership you know, how you conduct your own affairs in your life, which has, you know, evolved into talking about personal finance. I talk about networking, entrepreneurship, and I also build content. So I'm creating videos and audios and doing written work across the board. But primarily, in my heart of hearts, I am a speaker. Love it. And you have multiple different businesses or brands, avenues. Can you share a little bit about what each of those are? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I mentioned personal finance and I, I've always loved personal finance from, you know, back when I graduated college. And I tell the story, I was a rich college student because I was living on borrowed money and I quickly became a broke professional and realized the error of my ways and, and really started diving into personal finance at that point. So my personal finance brand is Mastery of Money. I heard a speaker one time say that we should all be pursuing mastery of something. And I thought, well, why not pursue mastery of money? So masteryofmoney.com is my brand there, which is, uh, it has a YouTube channel. There's a book called Mastery of Money for Students and a new book coming out called Mastery of Money for Parents. And then I have another brand called Build a Bigger Life. And Build a Bigger Life is sort of my general philosophy. At one point I was flying on a plane And a woman next to me said, what is it you do? And I said, uh, well, first, let me tell you what I believe. And I said, I believe that people can live an exponentially bigger life by understanding a few core principles. And I teach those in a really fun, energetic way. And she's like, oh, what are the principles? I want to know about this. And so I started diving deep into that. I started a podcast called the Build a Bigger Life podcast. And I interview game changers, people who who are doing big things living epic lives, just some of them are living very small lives in the sense of what they have, what they own, but they're traveling the world or they're impacting their community in a big way. And I started breaking down all of the things that people do to build a bigger life. And that becomes the platform there. And then lastly, Monica, 
I have a piece of software that teaches people how to blast away their mortgage and any other debts they have in their life. And we can show people how to get rid of all of their debts, including their home, within three to seven years and create just immense freedom in the process. That's so awesome. And of course, you know, if people know my story, I'm all about blasting away the debt. And you uh, just shared with me actually before we started recording that you're going to hit a big milestone in alignment with that as well. Can you, do you mind sharing that? No, not at all. Not at all. Not sure when this is going to air, but later this fall, we are writing one big check and taking care of the entire mortgage. And it's all based on the strategies that I lay out on Build a Bigger Life and Mastery of Money. The concept that I use is making money irrelevant. And that if you can make money irrelevant in your life, then you can do pretty much whatever you want. You know, what lights your heart up, that's what you go do every day. And so as a byproduct of that philosophy, we're taking care of our mortgage this fall and then deciding, all right, what's next? Where do we want to deploy these funds that at one point we're going to pay for our housing and now we can give more generously. We can, you know, help our kids with college. We can start other businesses, invest in real estate, you know, all the things that we've been wanting to do for a very long time that now become super possible. That's so cool. Well, congratulations on that. That's very exciting. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you have so many different things going on. Were you always an entrepreneur at heart? Did you grow up knowing that you wanted to have your own business? How did this come about to kind of go down this path of the entrepreneurial journey? I remember when I was a kid making money and the most distinct memory I have, my mom had gotten a can of Hershey's cocoa at the store and I was probably barely old enough to read it. I was probably seven or eight at the time. And I read the side of the cocoa can. Actually, I was younger than that. I had to been six at the time. And I wanted to make the cake on the side of the cocoa can. So she helped me build, you know, bake this cake. And a neighbor happened to be over and was talking about how delicious it smelled. And maybe she might like one too. And I got it in my head that I could sell the cake to my neighbor. And I ended up making two of them. I went out and knocked on, you know, probably two people's doors. And I was some cute six-year-old kid from next door. So, of course, they bought a cake from me. But I sold two cakes that week. And I remember from that point forward thinking, oh, if I want money, I just have to make it. I just have to go out and do something to earn it. So I started this long trail of entrepreneurial ventures in high school and college. And my dad one time said, Adam, you will never want for opportunity. Your challenge will be figuring out which opportunity to pursue. And he's been right all along. So part of me believes that you don't necessarily have to choose just one, though I think that people who are are much more focused. But I love the game and I love the game so much. I've created, you know, multiple strategies, multiple businesses in the process. Very cool. Okay. So six years old, you get it in your head. You know, if I want money, I can just create opportunities to make money. Yeah. Yeah. And so was that something that you saw from like your parents were doing as well? Or that just, I mean, just came out of you from who knows where? I mean, I'm just yeah. wondering, like, is it something that you kind of saw in your childhood at that point? You know, I didn't. I had no real strong entrepreneurial mentors. You know, there was no one in my life really that was a landlord or a business owner or anything like that. I realized further down the road that my grandparents on my dad's side, they owned some real estate. They had a hobby farm. They were making money there. But my granddad was the postmaster in a small town and my grandmother was a school nurse. So they had government jobs and they were making steady income, but they were kind of cobbling together all this wealth from various different avenues. And it wasn't until I was in college that I was looking around their life going, these two have it going on. Like they know what they're doing. And whenever I would go sit with my granddad, he would talk about decisions he was making or investments he'd made. And I think he was probably a really strong advocate of mine in taking a risk and doing things that were kind of out of the ordinary. It wasn't until, candidly, until I had graduated from college and I met this multimillionaire in Denver, Colorado, who said, Adam, I think you need to read this book. And he handed me Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And so I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I read The Cashflow Quadrant. And then he gave me this book called How to Be a Billionaire. So I read that book. And then I was reading books like Creating Wealth and Nothing Down. And from that point forward, it just 
like pouring gasoline on a small flame. Like it just took off. I wanted to do more and more and more of it. That's so awesome. Okay. So a lot of resources there. We'll put all those books in the show notes. Okay. So you went to college. What did you go to college to study? And then did that kind of feed into your career from there or what happened next? Yeah. Good question. I started out thinking I was going to go to one state school where I'm from in Iowa. I was going to study architecture because, I mean, this sounds so dumb today, but I had really great penmanship. I had draftsman style penmanship. And my teacher in drafting class was like, wow, Adam, that's really impressive. So I thought, oh, I could be an architect. And I applied, I was accepted. And then they said, by the way, we weed out the bottom 90% after year one. And I graduated in the half that made the top half possible, if you know what I mean. And I was like, I'm going to get weeded out. I can't go spend a year and then start all over again. So I ended up going to a different school, different state school, and I studied broadcasting. So TV and radio type stuff, thinking that I was going to be in front of the camera. And then when I graduated, I realized that those folks make very little money and I had student loan debt to pay. And I got into sales. So I was doing advertising sales for a radio station and then for a direct mail company. And I had a number of marketing kind of jobs, which was awesome to cut my teeth on, you know, on marketing, writing copy, how to close deals. But ultimately, I knew that's not what I was going to do forever. But yeah, broadcasting. And I would say the only thing I do today that relates to that is in creating content, I still love to edit audio and video. It's like a crazy guilty pleasure of mine. From there, you started broadcasting, well, sales. And then what happened? Like, when did the businesses start? Well, so I'll take you on the short and condensed version here. So I was selling for this direct mail company. And a good friend of mine was selling for a company called Tom James. They're a clothier. And so he was selling custom-made suits and shirts and sport coats to upper-level executives. And I thought, that sounds cool. I want to go do that because I love to look nice. And I thought, oh, selling clothes should be easy. And it's all just, it's sales anyway. So I went and did that for about two years. And while I was doing it, I was listening to motivational CDs in my car. And I was listening to Jim Rohn and Mark Victor Hansen and Tony Robbins, Jack Canfield, all the greats, Les Brown. And I remember one of them saying that public speaking was one of the most noble professions because you could travel the world, you could make great money, and you get to change people's lives. And I thought, I like all three of those. What would that take? And so I reached out to my network, uh, sent an email out and just said, hey, I'm I pretty much decided that measuring inseams is not my future. And I really want to pursue public speaking. If any of you have any tips or people you could connect me with, let me know. And a friend of mine reached out and said, oh yeah, this gal that we used to work with, she now works for a division of monster.com and they hire speakers all over the country. So I ended up working for this division of monster.com for about two years and really cut my teeth on the speaking world in the sense that over the course of those two years, I presented to about 200,000 people. And it was kind of like trial by fire. You either got good or you got fired. And I remember honing my craft and I was really pursuing mastery of speaking at the time. And I honestly, I still am today, but I realized that in doing that, it was a rush and it was a rush. I wanted to live day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And so essentially I started my own speaking business in 2004 and have been doing that ever since. Wow. So cool. Okay. So you just put it out there to your network you know, this is a path I want to pursue. If anybody has any opportunities for me here, then, you know, send them my way. And then that, that led to this position at monster.com where you got to practice and really harness your craft. What were you speaking about for monster.com? The program was called making college count. And they had another program called making high school count. And so we, we were speaking to high school and college students all across the country. And the program I mean, I got to be candid with you, Monica, it was not a fantastic program in the way it was written. The material was good, but many of us were sort of rewriting the material to suit our own personalities. And essentially, we were teaching students, you know, go to class, sit in the front row, get to know your educator, ask questions, 
be the kid who, who shows up and is interested because you'll get better grades that way. We talked about applying for scholarships and those kinds of things. But what happened was after almost every single program, a student or many students would come up and say things like, hey, that was really cool. I have a question for you. My grandmother just gave me $2,000. What should I do with it? And almost all of them were money related. They were asking things like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for books next semester. And I want to live off campus. Do you think that's a good idea? All of them sort of had this financial undertone. And so I was going to my bosses at Monster saying, there needs to be a money program. And they were like, yeah, maybe, but not really. We don't think there's any money for that. No sponsors will pay for that. And so a good friend of mine and I decided that we were going to go launch that program. And we co-authored a book called Winning the Money Game. And we created a program out of the book and then went out and started launching that to high schools and colleges all across the country. And the high schools, by and large, were saying, hey, no, we're not going to take an hour out of our class period. But the colleges were like, yeah, well, what do you got? Bring it in. We need this. And so we realized that we had this really killer program on the college market, and we've been doing it there ever since. Okay. So that's what started in 2004. Mm-hmm. And then was there a transition period? I mean, were you kind of doing that on the side and growing that up? Or did you just leave Monster and decide, no, I'm all in, I'm pursuing this path? Yep. So my departure from Monster was forced and it was forced, unfortunately, by 9-11. So what happened was when 9-11 struck, about two months later, they laid off 33% of their workforce. And I happened to fall into that bucket. So I spent a couple years nursing the idea, writing the book, getting things ready while I was also learning about entrepreneurship. So I had taken a job with a company where we were doing small business coaching And the way I approached it, which I would highly encourage your listeners to do, is some mentor of mine gave me this great advice one time. He said, take a job not for what you can earn, but for what you can learn. Mm. And at the time, I thought, I want to go do this. I want to build a speaking business. I'm going to be a solopreneur, an entrepreneur with a handful of people around me. What do I need to learn in order to be able to do that effectively? And I had read this book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. It's one of the best-selling small business books of all time. And there happened to be an E-Myth center in Iowa. And my wife and I had decided we were going to move to Iowa at the time. And I found E-Myth Iowa. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. This, this is like right in line with what I want to do. And so I studied under Michael Gerber and his team for the better part of a year and a half and effectively kind of got a master's degree in small business. Wow. And at that point, you know, I knew I had the entrepreneurial bug. I knew what it took to be successful. And we launched National Financial Educators in 2004. Wow. What an education. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. And, you know, pay, not great. I mean, I could have made a lot more doing something else. And I think that was a lesson that was hard learned for me and other people need to learn is that you will pay your dues. You won't make the kind of money that other people are making if you're pursuing your truest passion in the beginning. But at the end, the leap from where you're at now to where you want to be becomes much, much shorter when you know what you're doing and you've been taught by someone who knows how to do it. Wow. Gosh, what an amazing opportunity. And I just love that. Take a job for what you can learn, not necessarily what you can earn. And I think that you know, as we are growing our businesses, Every time we have a promotion or something that doesn't go as well as planned or something doesn't work out, you know, our Facebook ads aren't working as well as we had hoped, you know, I think it's great to have that mindset of, well, this is just all part of the process. This is part of the journey. This is the learning process, you know, paying our dues and figuring out what works and what doesn't. And rather than getting so frustrated by those things that seem like they're not going the way we want, there's always something that we can learn from that. At least that's the way that I try and approach it. Yes, totally. Totally. The question we kept asking was, what can we learn from this? You know, okay, okay, so that didn't work. What did we learn? And then the other was, we don't know how to do this, but if we did, what would we do? You know, I don't know how to do this, but if I did, what would I do to get started? And that question just kept us going all the way along. Yeah. And then it opens up your mind to looking for those possible solutions. Even if, you know, it doesn't come to you right away, at least your mind is focused on being open up to the possibilities. Yes. 
you started this speaking career, well, winning the game and the program with colleges and all of that. And so then what happened next from there? Well, so this is like, we're going down the entrepreneur's journey, I think on this, but every time I started a business, I got my wife pregnant. So I don't know if it was like a celebration or what it was, but it seemed like every time I tried to start something, then within a month, my wife would be like, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant. So we had planned on our first. She was not a happy accident, but the other two were happy accidents and unplanned. But we were obviously super blessed and grateful we had them. But when we got pregnant with our second, I was building national financial educators we were just getting into colleges and universities. It was appealing to them. The message was resonating. And then we got pregnant. And my wife said, hey, listen, I'm not going to raise two babies while you're off traveling. And I was like, no, totally understand. We'll figure this out. And so I ended up working in the mortgage business. So this was a small departure, but I took a job for about a year and a half in the mortgage world. And I'm so glad I did, Monica, because I learned all the things that I didn't yet know about money. So I had been a student of money. I had learned a lot. I had invested a lot, paid off a ton of debt, but I didn't know a lot about the mortgage world, credit reports, credit scores, how to clean things up, how to leverage, you know, like the ins and outs of finance truly. And so I started working for a, a mortgage company. And then at the end of that term, I was like, you know, I know enough. I should start a mortgage company. So it was about two years into my job with the mortgage firm that I ended up launching my own mortgage brokerage. And about a month into me starting my mortgage brokerage, guess what happened? <laughs> Your wife got pregnant. My wife got pregnant. And so I was like, well, crap. Now I've signed a lease for the next three years. I have seven people who have effectively quit their jobs and are coming to work for me. And I either have to like commit to this or run away with my tail between my legs. And I called a buddy of mine who's kind of my spiritual Sherpa and I laid out what had happened. And, and he's like, dude, here's the deal. When you make a decision, God will put something in your place that you will either go over, around, or through, or it is a sign that you're not supposed to do it. And if you go over, around, and through it, he's got your back. But it's a test to determine your level of commitment to this. And from that point forward, I was like, this is a done deal. And so we plowed forward. We had a really successful run in the mortgage business, despite it being 2007, 8, 9, and 10, wow. which are like the most, the worst years you could possibly be in mortgages. Right. But we built a really successful business in that amount of time. And then in 2010, I effectively sold it out to one of my partners and was like, you know what, I'm going back to where my heart is, which is speaking. And I'd, I'd already been building the speaking business on the side. So I was doing somewhere between 20 and 30 engagements a year. And when I left the mortgage business, I started doing 60, 70, 80 gigs a year. Wow. Okay. What I love about your journey so far is that there's a theme here about always being open to learning and taking advantage of opportunities that can help you learn what you need to know for your next step. And so yes. it seems like that was very intentional through your path. You know, I don't know how intentional it was, but I know that curiosity is one of my core values. And I find that I love this phrase. I don't remember who said it, but you can either be curious or you can be furious. And there were a lot of times where I wanted to be mad. I just wanted to, you know, throw my hands up and walk away. But being curious takes you on an upward spiral where being furious takes you down a downward spiral. Absolutely. And I think that was one of the biggest lessons was I can just get curious about whatever's going on and find something that needs to be learned in this situation. And that, I would say that's one of the kind of delineating factors in my life. Okay. From 2010 up to today, can you give us the short version? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking a ton, I doubled down on all my speaking efforts. So marketing, promotion, travel, all of it. And from 2010 to about 2014, I was hitting the college market really hard. And I spoke, you know, in the, in the past like 10 years, I've been on 750 college campuses. 
So I've been everywhere from Florida State University on the East Coast to the University of Spoiled Children on the West Coast. And I realized that in my travels, at talking about money almost the entire time, and I would, I would talk about things like networking. So that idea of you know, reaching out to my network and asking how many of you know of someone in the speaking business and could connect me, I slowly created this methodology, which we can talk about later, called the Power 100 List. And I teach that principle to college students, how to find a job when you're done with school. So I was doing these programs on college campuses, but what I was seeing was the debt load of the students I was presenting to was exponentially increasing. You know, when I started speaking in 2004 to these students, they had 12, 15, $20,000 in student loans. In 2014, they had 40,000. In 2016, they had 60,000 or 80,000. I met students that had $120,000 in student loans for a bachelor's degree. And I realized that something just did not sit right with me. Like, first of all, no 18-year-old should even be able to take on that level of debt because they have no concept of what paying it back looks like. So in 2014, I had an idea to create a documentary with a friend of mine, and it was all about the student loan debt epidemic. And the documentary was called Broke, Busted, and Disgusted. So we crowdfunded the documentary on Indiegogo, raised $67,000 in 45 days, and then turned around and created a full-length feature documentary that we then sold to CNBC in 2017. And we are getting ready to launch it on YouTube for free to the entire public through the generosity of Thrivent Student Resources as our sponsor. So we've had just tremendous luck on the documentary. And then I ended up doing a TED Talk in Wisconsin. And then I got invited to do another TED Talk at the London Business School. And that second TED Talk went viral. So I have like 4 million views on that TED Talk. And that kind of brings us to where we are today, which is me talking about, you know, how do you build a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle by blasting away student loan debt or not taking any at all, getting rid of your mortgage, doing what you love and, you know, just pursuing what lights you up in life. So amazing. What a wonderful journey. Regarding the TED Talks, I've watched both of them. They're amazing. So the first one is about student loans and the student loan debt epidemic. And the second one is more about teaching your kids how to manage money. And you did it in an interesting way. And I think that's why I went viral. And I mean, I'm not surprised at all. Four million views. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Today, now you have the different brands and really this passion of helping people build a bigger life. But not a bigger lifestyle. And so it's still around money and finances. And so where are you headed next with all of these different brands? Well, Mastery of Money for me is a long play. You know, we are building a website and a YouTube channel and an Instagram following. And ultimately, Monica, the goal with that is I want to build it to a point where we're getting a million unique hits a month, where we are selling courses as well as providing a ton of free resources to people out there. And eventually, I think what will happen is it will become a brand that a financial institution will probably come along and purchase because of the, the traffic and the momentum of it all. So for me, that's a long play, and it's passion. It's just teaching people what I know about like easy, simple money moves that I've made in my life that other people go, oh, well, it must be nice. And I'm like, no, it's, it's very simple. Anyone can do what I've done. It's not rocket science. And I haven't done this on some crazy sky high income. You know, we live a really modest life. My wife works three days a week. I work about 120 days a year doing what I do. And for us, it's not about making scads of money. It's about, as the thing suggests, building a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle. So that's the goal for that brand. The build a bigger life brand for me is more of like, well, let me put it this way. I wanted to make my vocation my vacation. So a few years ago, I started thinking, how would I create a business that allows me to travel to all the best places in the world and I get to write everything off and my friends and cool people get to come along with me and I get to impact them in a really positive way while we're doing it. And so what came up was this idea of doing retreats 
And we did our first retreat earlier in 2019 in Sedona, Arizona. And we had 10 people show up for this retreat that was three and a half days. And it was a build a bigger life retreat. So at the end of the retreat, these 10 people left with a roadmap, with new vision. They left with all the obstacles that previously were in their way, illustrated how they actually weren't obstacles. Nothing was in their way from achieving what they wanted. And we're going to do two to three of those a year. So we have another one coming up towards the end of this year in Destin, Florida. And then we'll do three of them next year. And I think we'll start doing Build a Bigger Life day events in cities all around the country. So we're going to start with one in my hometown in Des Moines, Iowa, later this fall. And then next year, we'll probably do three or four of them around the country. But the Build a Bigger Life movement for me is about creating this tribe of what I call life architects, people who are truly in control of the world they're building. And they own everything that they do and know that if you know, there's an intention and there's a vision, they're going to go after it and build it. So what are the steps that we can take? Because I really love this idea. And I think it's so true that we can create the kind of life that we dream of. And it seems like you've done that where you set this vision of, you know, I wonder what this would look like. And then you kind of go out to making it happen. So do you have like a specific step-by-step process that you take people through in order to map that out? I do. I do. In fact, there's nine core, what I call tenets of building a bigger life. So these are like the pillars that you would build uh, your bigger life upon. And the first one, honestly, is probably the most important and the one that's most often overlooked by most people. And that is determining what your values foundation is. So what I find is that when I talk to people who are, you know, whether they are nine to five employees or they're uh, business owners or solopreneurs, that are just really kind of disgruntled or disgusted with what they're doing, they're not living in alignment with what they truly value. And so the first step is going through an alignment, a values assessment. And once we get really aligned on our values, it becomes much easier to do the things that are important to you. So as an example, my five core values in order are family, freedom, love, growth, and connection. And I know what it means to be living according to those values on a daily or weekly basis. So I know that, you know, my family needs to know that they're the most important thing to me in my word and my deed. So what I'm doing for them and what I'm saying to them is what makes them paramount. Freedom for me means I can do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, anytime I want. And so every time that I've gotten into a J-O-B, which you know, for most people stands for just over broke, I hated it. And I hated it because I'm just not a good employee. And so the freedom aspect was something that was really like empowering and important to me. And then the other three are love, growth, and connection. And I know that like on the connection front, I have two to three meetings a week at a coffee shop because I need to connect with other people for me to feel fulfilled. So I know that as I build a big life, I'm focused on those five right now. And I think that my value set will change over time. But for most people, they need to know exactly what their values are. And by the way, you can do a free values assessment at buildabiggerlife.com. You just download uh, the blueprint that is available for download and go through the first three pages. And it'll tell you exactly how to do that. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I'm definitely going to do that because I, I can see how that helps you starting with the values. Then you can be much more intentional with where you spend your time so that you know that if you're you know, not liking where you're spending your time, that your time isn't in alignment with your values or maybe something that you thought was one of your high values is maybe just needs to be tweaked a bit. Maybe it, it's not exactly one of your main core values. Exactly. Okay. So do you mind sharing Step number two and taking us yeah. through the rest of the yeah. nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So step two is you have to see yourself as the architect of your own life. And this is a big one. And it's up for some people, it's a leap because they may have been prone and you yourself might have some ex- have experienced this at some point in your life where you blame someone or something else for what happened to you. So as an example, you know, I, I work with a lot of corporations today. We do a lot of like values training and, and I even companies will bring me in and to talk about money. And I end up talking about values 
And it's a really interesting juxtaposition for companies. But what I find is that some people will say, well, I can't do that because my boss did X, Y, or Z, or that wouldn't work because my spouse is, you know, this way. And what we do when we excuse away, you know, that someone else, this is someone else's problem, or this happened to me because of someone else, we give up our own power to have a say in what happens to us. And so when you see yourself as the architect of your own life, you get to make a choice. I mean, every day people get up and they choose to go to work. They choose to build a business. They choose to be married to who they're married to. And if you think you are not choosing every day, then you're wrong. You're lying to yourself. So tenant two is see yourself as the architect of your life, that every decision you've made up to this point has led you to this point. And if you want to change your trajectory, you just have to begin changing your decisions and the choices you're making. So we talk about owning whatever the future is. You get to own it. It's not up to anybody else but you. Okay, so I beat that horse. No, I really appreciate that. And I feel like when I was thinking about your journey, I wanted to ask you, you know, what's the difference between somebody like you who has set their mind to achieving these specific outcomes in their life and creating, you know, their dream life and actually making it happen? And, you know, what's the difference between that and somebody who is feeling like nothing goes their way and, you know, they're having just a hard time making their dreams become reality? And I feel like this tenant number two has a lot to do with that. Would you agree? Totally. Totally. And I'll tell you, I credit my mentor, Jack Canfield, you know, who I listened to in, as a sales guy early on in my career, in my car on a CD. And I thought one day I'm going to be next to this guy. I want to share a stage with this guy. And in 2014, I, I spent three weeks in a train the trainer program with Jack, which was like a total dream come true. One of the things he taught me is that you have to become an inverse paranoid. And a paranoid person would say, you know, the world and everyone in it is out to get me. You know, that's typically the, the mantra of someone who's paranoid. They're just, they swear that people are out to get them. Mm-hmm. And I believe as an inverse paranoid would that the world and everyone in it is conspiring on my behalf. So every time I miss a flight, I think I am about to meet someone amazing. I'm about to change somebody's life today. I am about to get the best surprise of my life because the world is conspiring on my behalf. And sometimes if I'm, you know, in a Debbie Downer mood, I'll be like, well, I clearly just avoided a car accident because something kept me from getting on that plane. So, you know, thank you, God. Here we go. What's next? So I am an inverse paranoid. I believe that everything in the world is conspiring on my behalf. And that's about being a life architect. So tenant three and four, because I think we could go on for four hours, Mon, if I keep beating these. Three and four are related. Three is have a bigger vision. And having a bigger vision relates to number four, which is ask bigger questions in this way. Tenant three is have a bigger vision. A lot of people will think, oh, wow, someday it'd be great to pay off my debt. I'd love to be debt-free. That's a vision that people have, correct? Yes, absolutely. I want to pay off my home. My bigger vision was I want to pay off my home by this December. That's a bigger vision. Somebody who has a big vision of someday I'd love to get paid to speak. A bigger vision would be by the end of the year, I want to make $5,000 a gig. That's a bigger vision. Somebody who's running Facebook ads, oh gosh, I'd love to make even $1,000 a month in passive income with my course and buying Facebook ads. A bigger vision would be, could I crank this thing up to make $100,000 in profit by the end of the year? Bigger vision. And then the bigger vision requires bigger questions. Because you know, as well as I do, you can show someone how to make an extra $1,000 a month using Facebook ads in a course. It takes a little bit different question and logic to teach someone how to make $100,000 in profit by the end of the year. And that's the bigger question that gets your mind starting to crank on, how would this be possible? So have a bigger vision and ask bigger questions are three and four. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, so step number five. Step number five is trust the inner knower. And this one I did not fully understand until I started getting in circles of people who are meditating on a regular basis. And whether you call meditation, meditation, 
or prayer or contemplative prayer or whatever you want to call it. And some people call it daydreaming, you know, in all honesty. But for me, it was sitting quietly, posing a question, asking bigger questions of myself, and then listening to whatever bubbled up. So the example I give is when I was kind of, I was in a tough financial spot in my life when I started the mortgage business. We had like a couple of down months and I was really needing to beef my cash flow up. And a good friend of mine said, incidentally, it was the same guy who told me about, you know, when I called him and said, I'm pregnant, I started this thing, what should I do? He's the one who gave me this advice. He said, Adam, I want you to go to your office. I want you to close your door, sit in your desk and ask yourself, where am I closest to money? And then just get really quiet and listen for an answer. And what came up for me was three names. And it was like, why are these names coming up? But I wrote the names down and I reached out to them one by one because he told me to do exactly that. And the first one said, oh my gosh, Adam, so crazy you called. I was just talking about you. We have this gig coming up at the end of the month. Our speaker just canceled. You'd be a great fill-in. Do you have availability this particular day? So I did, and it generated $2,500 in speaking fees. Next person I called, oh, Adam, so weird. Your name came up last night. I meant to introduce you to this friend of mine. So he makes an introduction. That turns into a deal two months later. And then the third one happened to be someone who I had met at a networking function. And he ended up inviting me to an event where I met a guy that turned into a big consulting project. So all three of them ended up turning into money, but it would not have happened had I not listened to the inner knower. Because I would have come inside and I would have gone to my to-do list and I would have done whatever my to-do list said. So I think tenant number five is really critical because we are all connected to some level of higher consciousness. We just never get quiet enough to listen to it. And with tenant five, you get quiet enough to actually hear what that voice tells you to do. And that voice is almost always right. I totally believe that. And I, I know like when I take time to think something through or to journal about something that that's when I start to come up with the answers and the solutions to the issue that I'm trying to resolve. Totally, totally. And the reason is your subconscious mind is the most powerful supercomputer ever designed. And its entire focus is to preserve the mind and body and to answer complex questions efficiently. And so what we do, we ask really easy questions like, why me? Why today? You know, why couldn't have this have happened at a better time? Those are the questions that a lot of people ask. And our subconscious mind goes, why you? Because you were born under a bad sign. Why you? Because, you know, your parents didn't love you enough. And it, it's a really simple answer. It's probably what we've heard and it's just rolling around inside. But if we were to ask a bigger question, like, what can I learn from this? And then you get quiet for the answer, something will come up and it's way more profound than you can imagine. So again, tenant five, trust the inner knower. Okay. Tenant six. Tenant six, uh, leverage the power of connections. So this is where that power 100 list comes into play. I have this theory that we all have 100 people in our life that like love and respect us. Would you agree with that? Definitely. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And those 100 people, if you reached out to them with any, pretty much any ask, they would do whatever is in their power to help you solve that ask. So as an example, you know, the majority of college students graduate today and they put together a resume and they put it on indeed.com and then they wait, or maybe they submit a resume to some online job posting or to a newspaper posting and then they wait and they wait and they wait and they wait. They might do a targeted job search. They submit an, uh, a resume online and they wait and they wait and they wait. In reality, the way jobs are gotten today is someone knows someone who knows someone that put a resume on the HR person's desk and said, we need to hire this person. And that's how they're hired. So I started wondering what would happen if you reached out to your power 100 list and kept them in the loop all the time about what you were up to effectively building social capital within that network so that when you needed something, you could very simply send out an email saying, Hey everybody, no, I've kept you in the loop on all the projects I'm after. 
here's a big thing I'm working on. If any of you have any advice, intros, money you'd like to donate to this project, et cetera, I'd love your help. By the way, here's a couple of videos I thought you might find interesting. People will line up to help you in that event. And so if you have a bigger vision, you've asked big questions, you've listened to your inner knower, and now you reach out to the people in your Power 100 list asking them for assistance, it will happen faster than you can ever imagine. And the way I know this works, Monica, is our documentary had zero dollars at the beginning of March, I believe it was. And by April 15th, we had $67,000 in an Indiegogo account because we had sent out emails to our Power 100 list. And it happened like that. And then I also know it works because my TED Talks both came about because at the bottom of my email signature line, I had written one of my big lifetime goals is to be on the TED stage. If you know anyone who could help me accomplish that, I'd be forever in your debt. And within four months, I had two offers to do TED Talks. Wow. All because of my my network. Okay. I love how you're putting it all out there. I mean, and I can really see how these steps are coming together to create your bigger life. So, okay. So step number seven, I feel like they're each one is building and they're getting better and better. So what's yes. number seven? I'm so excited. So seven is the big one because one through six is really all about, okay, I have an idea. Now what, how do I get this thing? You know, other people enrolled in it and make sure it happens where a lot of people get to at this point is they go, yeah, but that costs money and I don't have money. And I believe that particularly in this day and age, money should not be the reason that you're not pursuing your passion. There's got to be some other reason that you're not pursuing it. It cannot be financial only because there's so many ways to get out of the financial situation that you're in. So tenant number seven is make money irrelevant. And the way we make money irrelevant, there's a strategy that I go through and effectively it's, it's in three phases. Number one is you have to increase what I call your L factor and your L factor is your life factor. That's how much money you have left over after you've paid all your bills. Most people, if they make 5,000, they spend 4850, they have $150 left over. There's not a lot you can do with that. What I want to try and do is get someone who's making 5,000 Maybe we can push it to make six, maybe through some side hustles or whatever we do to make extra money. And then we're going to lower our expenses to maybe 4,500. Because if you've got 1,500 extra dollars a month, I can show you how you can make money irrelevant in a matter of about 24 to 36 months. Meaning you will have no money objections whatsoever. And you will feel freedom like you've never, ever felt before. So we create an L factor. We shred our debt. The income that we make, we actually own it. I have this theory that, you know, most people, they make a certain amount of income, but they own very, very little of that income. You know what I mean by that? Oh, absolutely. Because it's, it's already spoken for. Yeah. Yeah. The bank, like that money is going to somebody else, right? It's not money that we get to keep. Well, in our household, particularly when we pay off our, our, our home, we will own, literally own 90% of what we make. So imagine going to work every day and on a month by month basis, you get to keep 0.9 times everything that you take home. You know, that's a big deal. Yes. And, and so when you get to that point, now all sorts of doors are opened up in terms of investment opportunities and ways to not make 8 to 12% on your money, but to make 20 to 40% on your money. Because those methods are out there, but they're more wholesale opportunities. And it only comes for people that can write a big check. So we're going to make money irrelevant. And in the process of that, in starting your business, that money irrelevancy will carry itself through. And then I teach some practices for business owners and things like that on how to keep it going. But tenant seven is both simple and it's challenging. So it's very simple in the execution. It's just challenging for most people because they're not super disciplined currently. And I do my best to help them get disciplined on it. That's great. And I'm totally with you. I mean, that was one of the main motivators for my husband and me to pay off all of our debt. And our goal is to pay off, we're now down to just our mortgage. And 
our goal is to pay that off by the time we turn 40 here in a couple of years. And, but the, I mean, the main driver for that is because of the freedom that we will feel knowing that we don't have to pay. You know, when we started our journey, we had student loans, we had a home equity line of credit, we had our mortgage. And so that all added up to over $2,000 a month for, you know, payments going to other people. And so we saw that, you know, we'd have so much freedom in our lives if we were able to hold on to that money and we could do with what we wanted with that money, we could be much more flexible with our work schedule or, you know, if something happened to my husband's job or it's just, as you're saying, make money irrelevant, it wouldn't be a stressor anymore. And so anyway, so I'm totally on board with you. Yeah. What's amazing too, when we went through the process, Monica, the little insignificant fights that squabbles that came up in, you know, just being married and family life all went away. Mm-hmm. All the fears of, oh my God, what if the storm rips our roof off? Or what if there's a leak in the basement? Or what if the car breaks down? All those things became inconsequential because it was like, who cares? It's all covered. None of that stuff is a concern anymore. There are no, like when you strip away the real fears that you have in life, many of those fears are worries about how am I going to swing it if this happens? And when you realize that all that stuff you can take in stride, it just makes life so much more peaceful. So true. Yeah. Okay. Two more. Ten and number eight. Eight and nine are related as well. So eight is elimination. The way we build a bigger life is by stripping away all the things that are non-essential. So when we go back to the core values and you go, oh, okay, so, you know, maybe generosity is one of the core values, but it hasn't been lived. And then you get to making money irrelevant and elimination. And you realize that you're spending copious amounts of money on something. And I don't care what it is. It could be a boat, like boat payments. could be membership to the country club. It could be whatever it is. You realize that you could actually be more generous if you do eliminate that thing that you don't do that often anyway. So you start to figure out what do I need to get rid of? in order to make my life bigger than what it is today. For me, I sat on a couple of boards and I realized that one of the board seats I was on didn't make sense anymore. I wasn't adding value. I was dreading going to the meeting. It just was time to get rid of it. And so I did and my life was automatically bigger. So elimination becomes key and this is everything. It's things like, do you have clothes in your closet you need to get rid of? We're gonna eliminate. I mean, this effectively a lot of this came from the whole Marie Kondo movement. What sparks joy in your life? Keep that. Everything else goes away. And so elimination is number eight. And number nine is automation. So how do you automate virtually everything you do in your life so that it's not a stressor, a cause of pain in your life or worry or whatever? And I have to tell you, the biggest one for me was mowing my lawn. Tell me, do you mow or does your husband mow the lawn or do you share it? No, my husband takes care of all of the yard work. He does. Okay. Yes, he does. So this was a thing where my wife really wanted me to, but there were times when I was traveling and the yard, the grass would get a little bit longer than it should. And she would, you know, when I was on the phone with her, say, Hey, are you going to mow the lawn sometime? And I'd say, yeah, when I get back, I'll get it done, you know, that day or the next morning or whatever. Well, I'd come home and she'd have done it, but then she'd be upset at me because she did it. I was like, well, hang on a second. You can't both choose to do it and be upset at me because I didn't choose for you to do it. You chose to do it. You got to own that. And so I realized that I didn't like to do it because I, I would get all sweaty and it was, I was push mowing it. And what I really wanted was I had my eye on this riding lawnmower. So I ended up getting that. Well, now my neighbor has one of those robotic lawnmowers. That's the answer. So I'm now buying a robotic lawnmower and it's 100% automated. The lawn is cut, it's neat, it's done all the time, and it's done by a robot, and I never have to deal with it. That's awesome. I haven't heard of that. So is that like you you schedule it and it knows to go out and do it? Yeah. Well, it's like a Roomba. Okay. So if you've seen the Roomba, this thing, it it has like sensors that it lines up on your sidewalk and your edges of your yard. And then it just, it literally runs something like eight hours a day, and it's going over your, just over your yard back and forth and but it keeps the grass super trim. Obviously requires no gas. Uh, so it takes up very little space in your garage. It's awesome. Very cool. So that's, that's one example of automation. The other is 
we don't pay a lot of bills. We limit it to everything that we buy, we do on our credit card and we pay one bill at the end of the month. It's the credit card bill. Mm-hmm. And that for us has saved a lot of headache. So you're talking about automating your bills and mowing the lawn, so household type things, but we can also do this in our business with a lot of things. Oh my gosh, so much, so much. I will tell you that for me, and particularly at the Build a Bigger Life retreats, I leverage the skill set of my my operational assistant. Like she's Molly Rose is her name. She's amazing. She started out kind of as a VA, now trains VAs. She has the VA Academy. She is like the automation queen. So from a speaking perspective, she's automated the sequence where if someone requests information for me as a speaker, they get put into a pipeline, they get a series of emails, a call is scheduled with her, she finds out what they need, it's sent back to me. I mean, everything is automated right down to the post-event survey. So you're so right. You could automate virtually any business. I love it. Okay, so... To recap the nine core tenets, we've got the values foundation, see yourself as the architect of your own life, Yep. have a bigger vision, ask bigger questions, trust the inner knower, leverage the power of connections, make money irrelevant, elimination, and automation, correct? That's it. You nailed it. So good. Oh my gosh. And I love how you can just see, I mean, how it all works together to actually help you build a bigger life. So where can we find out more about this? And you mentioned the blueprint. Does that have all nine of these in there that we can kind of follow along? Or what what would be the next step if we want to actually put all of this together for ourselves? Yep. So the next step obviously is download the blueprint. I believe we take you through six in the blueprint. And the last three, part of the reason I held those in reserve, I'm building a course out that will have all nine covered in detail. And then also I'd love to see your listeners and others at the retreats that we're doing throughout the year. So the book itself, I'm actually in the final throes of the Build a Bigger Life Manifesto, which is basically a full-on, what will end up being probably 140 pages detailing all of these and how to do them. And then from that, I have a feeling we'll probably have other things like group coaching and and that kind of stuff. But at the very least, getting in our pipeline at buildabiggerlife.com would be essential. Perfect. Okay. So yeah, Yeah. all of the resources will be there at buildabiggerlife.com. Yep. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. This is so great. I mean, what I love about this is that in sharing your story, your life to me has seemed very intentional where you have an idea and you figure out how to make it happen. And it seems like you've been living this, build a bigger life, life. And I love that you are focused on helping others build their bigger lives too. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with us today, Adam? I think the last thing I would leave everybody with is knowing what your vision is, is really critical. And then the second step of that is believing that it's possible. You know, I, we had talked about this pre-interview when I go back through my journals and I read what I was writing three years ago, five years ago, I'm living it today and I'm living it today because I'd, I'd write it down and it was like, I have the ultimate belief that this thing will happen. And it just did because I found a way to make it, make it happen or found the right people or whatever it may be. Essentially, I leveraged all nine tenets, but I think belief, having a vision and then believing is the secret sauce to achieving whatever it is you want to achieve. Perfect. Thank you so much. This was so wonderful. So we're going to have links to all the resources that Adam shared today. I mean, the books and all the links where you can find him, where you can see his TED Talks in action. They're both amazing. And so check out the show notes. I'll give you the link to the show notes in just a moment. But thank you, Adam, so much for sharing all of this with us. I really love this conversation and appreciate you coming on and sharing. You're so welcome, Monica. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Having a vision and then believing is the secret sauce to what you want to achieve. You heard it here. The nine tenets to building a bigger life. 
I want to thank Adam again for sharing his entrepreneurial journey with us and showing us what it takes to build a bigger life. And I encourage you to grab your copy of the Build a Bigger Life Blueprint and take action. And you'll find the link to the blueprint, Adam's TED Talks, and everything that we discussed today at monicalouie.com slash 18. Thank you so much for joining Adam and me today. If you found this helpful, please leave a rating and review so that more people can find this podcast and subscribe so that you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. And next week, we've got another great episode heading your way. So subscribe so you don't miss it. Also, I am doing a lot of traveling this time of year. So if you're listening to this when it comes out, then I am currently at FinCon in Washington, D.C. And in a couple of weeks, I will be speaking at my friend Scott Volker's event called Brand Accelerator Live. That's happening in Texas. Plus, I'm leading a blogging retreat with my friend Kim Anderson in October in Charlotte. I absolutely love attending events and meeting people face-to-face. So if you are at any of these events, please introduce yourself, say hello to me. I would love to meet you in person. And if you want to follow along behind the scenes, then follow me on Instagram. I'm at Flourish with Monica, and then check out my stories. I'll be sharing updates there. All right, that's all for today. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care and bye for now. 